All things office tech, leadership, company culture, and fun. This is Fisher's Technology. So this topic is near and dear to my heart. And I wanted to bring up uh, a few CEOs that I know have built amazing cultures in their careers and uh, hear from them. So uh, we will do some introductions and then get at get some prepared questions. I do want this to be interactive as well. So as you have questions, please, please dig in. So we'll do introductions. And I asked them to uh, just give, give your name, your organization, uh, number of locations, number of employees. Get kind of in. Connie's retired, maybe perhaps from her, you know, larger organization. Uh, so many, many of her answers, Connie, maybe perhaps could be with your credit union. But um, name, organization, as well as what was your first job ever, and then how did you come into your current job at your company, and then how would you describe your culture? All right. I can remind you of those questions when we get in there. But let's start with Brian. Sure. Uh, I'm Brian White. I'm the owner of Dutch Bros, Boise, East Meridian, Garden City, Mountain Home. Um, it's kind of our territory. Uh, I already forgot question two. <laughs> what, how many locations? Number okay, one thank you. So we have 14 locations right now. We're building out to about 2022 20, over the next couple of years. Um, we have fluctuating between 450, 500 employees, um, mostly part-time. Um, just working in the shop, so um, that's kind of where we're at there. What was your first job? My first job, well, so my dad was a contractor over in Oregon all my growing up, so every summer I worked for him, technically first job. I did work at, uh, my first job outside of family was I worked at the Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, and it was the Blockbuster that was on ABC News a couple years ago as the last standing blockbuster. That's the one I worked at, which was kind of cool to see on that. So that was my first outside of like family job. I just took that as a high school job. And, and how did you come to owning the Boise Dutch Brothers? And so I'll fast forward the story as quickly as I can. I started with a company in Oregon while I was going to Oregon State, um, getting my college degree, ended up meeting my wife there. Um, we well, she was my wife, obviously, at the time. We met at the shop, started dating, um, got engaged. I was graduating Oregon State and getting married all at the same time and decided it's time to probably get a big boy job. And uh, so my wife and I kind of had a conversation and decided let's stick with what we know. We both loved the company. We knew the uh, the founders Trav and uh, Dane before he passed away at the time, came through Dutch Bros and Bend all the time. Got to know them super well, just loved the culture of the company, loved the family atmosphere of the company. And uh, so we went and pitched them the idea of coming to Idaho. And they said no for about eight months straight. They weren't ready to cross state lines at that point. They were just in Oregon, Washington, and Northern California. And so it took some time. I had to convince some things. We had to figure out dairy contracts and all that stuff to get milk over here and all that. Um, but we did convince them over the course of eight years. And so we just kind of came up through the company. So. Awesome. And how would you describe your culture? Uh, I don't know. Dutch Rose culture is different. It's uh, it's just different than any anything else I've been a part of. Um, it's a family company. Um, it's it's changed a little bit. We've gone public over the last year and a half or so. Um, things have changed a little bit, but not much. The 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 key reason they wanted to travel and to stay in control of the company was to keep the culture alive. And he was worried about going public for as long as he waited um, because he didn't want the culture to change. So it's a family-owned business. Uh, we don't view ourselves in the coffee business. We feel like we're in the relationship business. Um, we're strictly 
trying to change someone's life through a cup of coffee or an energy drink or something like that. We're not concentrating on the sales or anything like that. We just want to make a difference and change someone's life. And it's amazing the stories over the past 14 years or so of how we have changed people's lives. They come through every day and our employees become therapists, doctors, teachers, everything to our customers. And it's amazing what people will tell you at the, at the coffee window. So, um, the, cult, the culture is different. It's special. It's, um, but we, we really just regard ourselves in we're, we're people driven and we're relationship based. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Jeff. All right. I'm Jeff Newgard, president and CEO of Bank of Idaho. Uh, we're founded in 1985. We're about a billion dollars in assets. We span from eastern Idaho uh, to Twin Falls. Uh, we have four locations in Boise, Treasure Valley, and then we just bought some locations up in eastern Washington and also de novo uh, branch there. So we have about 16 branches. We have a trust, wealth management, and mortgage operation as well. And uh, we'll see by the end of this month, we have an SBA department and we are in the running to be number one in the state, but you know I can't count the chickens before they hatch. So uh, we're we're going right up to the end, and hopefully uh, by month end we'll we'll hold that title for Idaho. Uh, How many employees? About two hundred. Yeah. yeah, a little over two hundred. And uh, what was your other? What was your first job? Oh, so. My, my father owned a gas station oil distributorship business, and uh, kind of like you, I grew up in, in my dad's business, but we lived literally behind the gas station. So it was an apartment right, the earliest memories I have are the air compressor and the, uh, and the, the, the air gun, you know. <laughs> that was my lullaby. I, I'll never forget it. And it's actually, uh, I love that sound. And I love the smell of diesel and, <laughs> and fuel uh, because it's an early childhood memory. So I grew up literally working in the gas station. Uh, but outside, the, the rule in, in my house was uh, if I didn't have any other activity going, I would either work at the station or do sports or some other thing. So I found every opportunity I could to work outside the gas station. And one of my first was a ranch hand, so I uh, got to mess around with cattle and chop wood and do whatever is needed on the ranch. Uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. And how'd you come into your position now? So uh, the CEO was retiring and they, they wanted a successor, so uh, I had sold my last bank up in uh, eastern Washington and had worked for the, the acquirer for a couple of years and I was ready to take the helm of a community bank again. So. Uh, I applied and got the job uh, about seven and a half years ago. Yeah, and the culture, is that the next one? How would you describe your culture? Yeah, so the, the culture is one of caring. So we have a heart in our logo that, that really signifies, uh, number one, it's, it's not the customer. It's the employees, and it's the team. That's the number one priority is care for each other. And it's not hierarchical. It's, it's circular. It's holistic. Uh, they care for me as much as I care for them. It's not based on title. And then it goes to the customer. And the experience there is yeah, a lot like Dutch Bro, it sounds like. is yeah, We don't use the word sales. Uh, and selling is kind of a bad word. Uh, we want to offer solutions and, and help people, whether it be a banking product or not. 
it might be a, a referral to one of our customers who's a plumber or a doctor or an attorney. And, and the relationship's more important. It's helping our customers and uh, caring for them. And if you really care for your customer, you're not out to try to sell something to them and try to, you know, you hear a lot of these banking institutions talk about hooks and tubes and, you know, if you've got seven products and they can't leave you. Uh, my, my feeling there is that if you have a relationship, a friendship, it's going to be hard to leave that. And if you're really bringing value to that relationship, it's going to be hard to leave. Uh, and, and we like to, to focus on that. And then the third part of that stool was the community. So employees, uh, community, or customers, and then community. And, and really show up, not just with a check, but with your time, which is the most precious thing we have. And we go shoulder to shoulder with our customers and the rest of the community to really make a difference and show that heart, that, that love. Thanks, Jeff. If, yeah. if you look at any billboard between here and Idaho Falls, you'll see Jeff's face on it. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is I stand up for the brand. You yeah. know, um, the buck stops here, and uh, it's important that uh, people know that, uh, that I'll stand up for it, that uh, you can always call me, and I do take calls from customers. And that's, that reinforces that culture, and we'll get back to that later, I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks. Connie, feel free to pick the organization sure. you want to describe. <laughs> so I'm Connie Miller. Um, I spent my career in credit unions, uh, and the most significant, the last part, as president and CEO of Icon Credit Union. Uh, about a year before I retired, uh, we were uh, we merged in with Horizon Credit Union, but I spent most of it as CEO of, of Icon, so I'll kind of speak to that a little bit. But since I semi-retired, <laughs> Uh, I um, have a leadership consulting business and work a lot with um, leaders and boards and uh, team training and all of that, which I'm absolutely loving. I, I mentioned that I get to take all the lessons learned from me and my team, and, and uh, now we get to help other people with it, which is quite fun. Uh, so that's a little bit. My first job was actually Taco Bell up on Overland. Uh, by Vista. It's not there anymore. It's gone a long, long time ago, but that was my first job. But my first career job was after I got my accounting degree, uh, I went to work as an accountant for Girl Scouts. And I uh, thought I would work there just a year, and I ended up working there 12 years uh, and just loved the, what the organization stood for before I got in the credit union industry. So that's a little bit about that. I had about 115 employees when I retired, and uh, how I would describe our culture is. It was super important to me, and so I invested um, every part of my being into um, having a great culture. And sometimes we hear the word culture, and we think it's all about fun in the office, which is really important. We had a, a ton of fun minute to minutes and races through the office and huge camping trips um, in Cascade and things. But it's also accountability, accountability to who you serve making sure that our members were taken care of, make sure we were listening to them, but also accountability to each other to grow each other. Every single person needs to grow all the time, and so do we help each other? Same exact thing. Do we care for each other? Uh, and um, I'm a strong believer that organizations that focus on mission and who they serve are much more successful than uh, those that just focus on outcomes. And so even though I love the numbers, uh, when I would come in every day, it was more about how are things going, how are employees doing, how are members feeling. You know that that was important to me. So, yeah. thank you. 
I guess br briefly, I'm Chris Taylor. I'm uh, CEO of Fishers. Um, my first job, well, Fishers has 14 locations in four states. Uh, we're approaching 200, very close to 200 employees across those 14 locations. Um, my first job was, uh, we called it Box Boy. I don't know why, because there are bags, but I bagged groceries at, at Albertsons on Boise Avenue and Apple. Uh, and took, took groceries to cars. I mean, people don't do that anymore, but that's what I did. Um, and I took it very seriously. I ran everywhere, run back, and I strategically tried to get things like a Tetris game into the bags. I loved it. Um, I came into this job in 2006. I came in to do uh, what we were calling a turnaround of a company that was um, uh, not strong. Go as far as to call it weak. Um, culturally challenging. Customer service was questionable. Um, so I thought it'd be a couple-year project, um, and then I'd be off to something else, and fell in love with it and immediately started to, to buy into ownership. And um, fast forward, here we are uh, going nuts and having a blast. Um, I would describe our culture as uh, having a lot of fun together, making sure we love having hanging out with the people we work with and obsessing with our client experience. Um, those are the two, th two things, having fun and taking great care of our customers. With that, I'll move into some formal questions. Again, we'll uh, jump in anytime if you have questions. I'm going to start with Connie. And by the way, for panels, I don't necessarily like asking a question and going down the line, you know, past the mic. and every So not everybody has to answer every question. I've got somebody targeted for these questions, but feel free to jump in if you, okay. if you want to as well. But this first one's targeted at Connie. And this is in the category of communication. So how do you or did you communicate uh, values, mission, vision, and your strategy to your teams? So the most important thing is that your culture values, mission, all of that isn't just something that's on the bulletin board in your break room and or on your website. Uh, so we did a variety of things and um, I, I would say you got to live it throughout your entire being. Uh, and it, I got some great coaching around that when, when we got really obsessed about really uh, digging into building culture. So. We had a lot of things that we put in place, and they were things like we have to, if you study how long it takes to really adopt to something new, it's you have to hear it many times, right? And also, the team is watching to see is this real or is it going to go away soon? So we did a lot of things. For example, um, all of our leadership uh, had a protocol that we didn't send a single email unless it had one of our culture values into it and referred to it. That was one example. We had our culture values all over our walls, and the team placed them wherever they wanted in their locations. Uh, we just did, uh, we had these um, wonderful recognition, we call them higher standard cards, uh, where you recognize peer-to-peer -peer as well as even your boss or anyone in the organization if you saw them living one of the culture values. And we gave a training on really good higher standard cards and, and how you refer to it and talk about the action that was taken. and all of that and then we invited our members even uh, into the whole experience so uh, and then I um, the other thing is we built them into our performance reviews so we communicated it across the board you were you were actually rated on how you met the um, all of the culture values and then even in our monthly coachings uh, employees would come and they would rate themselves every single monthly coaching and we would talk about you know, which one are they working on, or do they have a couple that they've slipped on, or whatever, because it's a cycle always. 
uh, every new decision we made, we said, does it meet our mission? Uh, even in the boardroom, I remember discussions in the boardroom about a fee, for example, and we'd say, well, how is this building financial success for our members? That was in our mission statement. It was like, well, that one actually doesn't really. It actually discourages uh, building financial success. So it was just, we lived it. We breathed it. Um, it was super fun. We did a lot of awards. We had an annual retreat where we, everything, we had speakers come in that really spoke to each of the values in some manner, and we just stayed very, very focused on it. I would say the biggest thing is don't let up and don't get complacent with it because it's easy when you're rolling them out and you're excited about it, but five years later, you have to still have um, the same excitement. Uh, and, and interviews, even even our recruitment, we changed our whole interview questions to ask open-ended questions to make sure we were hearing for answers that supported it. Thank you. Uh, Brian and Jeff. What specifically do you do day in and day out or whatever frequency to foster, enhance, improve your culture? Are there communications or what do you do when you're working on culture in your, in your business? Go for it, I'll follow you. Okay. Um, so it's adapted over the years. Obviously, we came out here, we had one store, then two, three, and obviously early times it's, it's really easy to stay connected with the core group of employees but you know fast forward all the years 14 stores 450 to 500 employees it's really hard to get across to everyone so we've kind of had to adapt over the years to really pouring into our core team so we have obviously a manager at each location we have an assistant manager at each location and a bunch of shift leads and they all have time during the week where they come out to our office and Every other Monday, all our assistant managers are in our office right down here on Chindin, and um, we spend at least an hour or two that day, our, our office staff, our regional directors, our regional managers, just pouring into them, getting them, because we have to spread the message to them to spread down, and we've actually found it, it almost works better when the assistant manager is spreading it to the crew than the actual manager, um, and it, it just, the message seems to get across better because the assistants are kind of a friend of the employees where the manager of each shop is kind of the boss and isn't viewed in, in the same light as as far as, I mean, the manager has to do the hard, you know, discipline and all that. So we do that every other Monday and then every Tuesday our manager group comes out and they're, they're in the office. They don't work in the shops on Tuesdays. They're just in the office for the office day. So we try to pour into the, the core group now that we have so many people because they're the ones that have to get the message out. Um, and then I have four regional managers that oversee different pods of shops. We have the shops in different pod groups, and we shift them around. But um, they do a lot of stand nights. They do a lot of any activity you can think around Boise, axe throwing, uh, roaring springs, all the stuff, seasonal stuff. They always go out and they do culture uh, seminars in those small groups as well. So uh, we try to do as best we can in, in – in spreading it around but um, it really the biggest thing we found was we didn't used to do the assistant manager days but for whatever reason when we pour things into the assistant managers and they take it back to their crew the crew really listens and really adapts to that which has been a great thing for us it maybe doesn't work for everyone but it, it really works well for us and the managers have bought in too they understand like when the assistants on board 
everyone seems to get on board. So that's been a big thing for us once we started doing those separate days. We used to only have manager days, and then we brought it down. And then once a month, we'll have all the shift leads that come in, and that's kind of the tier right underneath our assistant manager. So um, we have a lot of roles now in what seems like a simple operation of drive through coffee. We have a lot of roles built in now to um, just to kind of keep the culture going. Because to be perfectly honest, we went through a, a period of time when we expanded from like four or five shops and we jumped to eight within like a year's time and our employees we gained 150 employees within a year and the culture started dipping and we noticed that and we we quickly came up with the shift lead idea and things like that to kind of help the culture going because we saw it going in the wrong direction we just expanded too fast so um we do a lot of those things on a week-to-week basis which which helps at this point now but it wasn't without failure first but we expanded too fast one time, and so I accelerated the Christmas bonus and gave it to them in the summer. Mm-hmm. But then they wanted a Christmas bonus, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could backfire. <laughs> Thank you. Jeff? So I think the important thing first when we're talking about culture is that every business, every organization has a, has a culture. It's, whether you work on it or not, whether it's uh, intentional or whether it's positive, or fun, or, or whatever you're trying to create, uh, that's another thing. Um, but culture exists in every organization. Uh, and I think what we're talking about is how, how, are you, how are you intentional about creating the culture that you want? Uh, one of the things that I do is I have to be out there. I have to be with the people. I have to be with my team. And so I go to a lot of our branches, I'll go to a lot of our locations and go shoulder to shoulder with them work the market. I'll go out there and meet customers, uh, meet the community, and so I'm, I'm present with them. I'm, I'm not on my ivory tower. I'm, I'm walking the walk. And it's not something that is uh, just a, a slogan or something we put on the wall. It's something that we live. And that, that's my responsibility to live that. Otherwise, it's, it's not authentic. And, and I believe strongly that the culture that we want to have is authentic. It's got to be real. People can see through fake in a second. And, and they also appreciate, I think people appreciate, uh, authenticity. So that's what we really double down on, is, is be yourself, care for your customer, your, your, your fellow teammates in an authentic way. Uh, the other thing that we look for is uh, opportunities to support our team going through tragedy. So if somebody's going through some hard time in their life, uh, what can we do as a team to support them through that? Uh, we, we've had moments where uh, they, there, there was a family going through a hard time uh, and we had meals delivered to their house for, for weeks. Uh, and that was, that was all driven by our team. That's the beauty of this, is that it doesn't have to come top down. Uh, they organize it themselves, and, and, and we, I participate with them. So it's, it's very organic, and, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, we expanded into Washington, and my, my concern was how do I make sure that that continues up there? Uh, so I, I brought, I took branch managers from our current footprint and had them go and serve 
in, in Washington so that they got the feel. And, and then I'd have another wave go up there of managers. And I just kept sending people up there. One of the things is I didn't want them to feel like they were on an island. I wanted them to feel like they were us. And, and they said, gosh, we're getting lots of attention. And it was like every week we were sending somebody up there to give them, a, give them the feel of what our culture was. And, and the beauty, too, is I find that people that don't fit the culture don't stay long. So they opt out. Yeah, we say that the culture should ooze out of the walls when you walk in. When you walk in. You'll attract the right people and reject the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do believe culture starts with us. And uh, I, it was cheesy, but I changed my title and my email signature to chief culture officer one time. I got teased a lot, so I changed it back. But, but I do believe chief culture officer is, is who we are. Thank you. Question for Connie. Um, values. Uh, we all have values. We all have culture. Uh, we've had some rough times globally recently. Um, is culture something that is, it's there and it stays there, or is it something that we need to be intentionally wondering if, it, you know, shifting it with shifting times? Like, is it stagnant, or are we changing, do we need to be changing it? Yeah, you know, I found that the values held true for the most part. It's just the actions to support them might change depending on what's going on, but I didn't find that ever that I felt like they still, we, we annually would say, does it still fit us? Does, does this make sense? We did, we did that one time. We had the word elite. And um, if you look at the definition of elite, we, it was memorable, um, something that you, it was significant. It, that's what our intention was around it. Sometimes a few folks would think that it was more like snobby or that type of thing. So that was an example where we changed one just because it was being misinterpreted. But we never felt like we needed to change the actual values. But I will say that we have to pay close attention to how they're challenged and what's going on. And we have to shift our behavior sometimes to address more of the situational things. And I also think attitudes that come into your organization have changed over the years. So I definitely saw uh, different, um, what was important to people was different over the years. And so I do think there's, you have to be fluid with it, but what I will say is people that don't fit the values will challenge them and you'll know who these people are and, uh, and or a personality type, most common personality type that would challenge it that might have a good value system and might love the culture values are the people that are too busy. So there is a personality type that I found that if they are efficiency experts and just busy love to-do lists and get it done would be the ones that would have a harder time adding the value for like monthly coaching sessions to make sure they got done and some of those things that they would see as soft and uh, not productive time so I definitely had to spend some time getting um, some of those folks to understand at times like what that really the importance of it and the way I did it was I focused on the cost of things like turnover and you know, how much time you spend going through interviews. If you can retain people instead, you're not spending those time. So get them to understand that it is time well spent. But it took a little bit of creativeness there. We challenged this last year. We, we felt our culture had slipped as well for various reasons. Um, and so we put a culture tiger team together to, to, to really assess our culture. Are we living these values? Are those the right values for us now? 
and what we found was the values were still very much us and what we wanted to be, but that our uh, the things that we did to go enhance those values needed to shift. And so increasing levels of communication and frequency of communication, increasing training levels and, and investing more in our team. So some other some things came out of that study to make sure we're embracing those values and, and driving those through the company. But the values themselves held true. And I, I would just say that I think it's normal. You're not going to be perfect at this. It's normal. You're going to have a little ebb and flow depending on the new new projects you have going on or distractions or the economy, the labor force today, all these things are things. But staying true and keeping going back to, I call them the rocks, the rocks of who you are, it, 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 you can work through those things with, with more of a smooth transition than more, you know, a rocky road. So, Brian, from the outside, it seems like you have a very strong, fun, awesome culture. Um, is that your culture? Did, how much of, of your culture is you and what you've done here in the Treasure Valley versus inherited from corporate? Um, yeah, so I mean, the benefit that my wife and I both had was coming up through the company. So we were poured into with this culture. And it's, it's been a Dutch Bros culture from day one. Back when they started in 1992 with one push cart in downtown Grants Pass, Oregon. I mean, their, their whole culture was relationship. Serve the customer. Um, I think Trav tells the story obviously better than anyone because he was there, but I think the first day they made like $48 and they were just blasting Van Halen and just serving the downtown Grants Pass community, mostly homeless people that they gave away free stuff to, um, so they weren't in it for sales at that point either. Um, but the culture was there and they knew if they could build this you know, relationship first business that happened to sell really good coffee and fast forward to today, energy drinks and all that stuff, um, that it would work. They just knew that they kept pouring into it. So when we started working in Ben, that culture is just driven into you from day one. Um, but back then we didn't have training programs. We didn't have anything like that. It was like, just show up and here's, here's a way to make all the drinks. Here's our menu. Good luck. And so we had to kind of learn on the job where fast forward to today, We've now adopted a ton of training programs. Our office down the street here has a full training center that is mocked up exactly like the inside of one of our shops. So when our people come in, they spend two weeks alone just in there making drinks that we just lose on all the product. We just throw it all away. Um, but it's important for them to get those reps in because I remember what it was like to just be thrown in and that sink or swim mentality sometimes works, but it can be quite challenging, especially to fast forward to today, to the blessing we have today of long lines and things like that. It could, I mean, we've lost some really great people, I think, just from throwing them in too early. So the culture we've kind of, uh, the way we coach it, when we do our two-week training, the first four days they don't even make drinks. They just watch um, Dutch Bros videos, um, culture videos, and, and that all comes from our, our headquarter office out of Oregon. But um, we just really spend the first four days in teaching them all about the creed of Dutch Bros Creed as, as well as um, all the videos of, of where the company came from, where it started and all that. So um, we hit them pretty hard. And then after they've got all that dialed, then we get them into drink making and stuff like that. So it's kind of a combination of both. The company itself definitely is culture first and drives that into us but then we've had to adapt as we grow and every area does this around and i know all owners do different things different ways but we really try to 
be creative too and come up with more fun ways to like even our hiring process we don't do a sit-down interview we do group hires where everybody comes to our office and they're playing cornhole and they're you know hanging out and this and, and they're being evaluated the whole time while they're going through that process. They don't maybe re really recognize that, but all our managers and assistant managers are there, kind of taking notes on who's interacting with who, who's kind of a wallflower on the side, who's on their phone the whole time and not interacting with anyone. And they're kind of taking notes and then they get through that process and then they go break up into different small groups and go into a small little question and answer type thing. And we kind of feed them through the system that way just to, we're looking for personalities. We, I could care less if you can make a cup of coffee or not. We can teach you that side. I can't change your personality. Like we've tried, it doesn't work. Um, people's personality at the ages we get them are set in stone. So um, we really just hire on personalities, and we like to find those people. And it, it's not saying the person that is maybe a wallflower at our interview doesn't get hired. There's a place for that personality as well it's it's more of my personality i'm not the guy that's going to jump up in the window and dance when you pull up or anything like that but i'd love to sit down and have like a meaningful conversation with you things like that so we try to identify that but um back to your question of the culture i mean it's we've adapted it over the years but our company's always been from the beginning it's it's just kind of been there we just have to and we have to keep adapting generations change obviously and um, I feel like I'm still young, but I'm not anymore. So um, we have to adapt to, to change generations because our, our average age is 18 to 26, I would say, is probably who we hire, and that generation keeps changing. And what they like and what motivates them is different all the time, and so uh, keeping them engaged is hard sometimes. But uh, I don't know if I get rounded about yeah. back to what you wanted, but that's great. Thank you. Jeff, you came into a pre-existing culture in mm -hmm. Idaho. Uh, you've got a culture now are there differences between what you came into and who you are today how would you characterize those differences and was that intentional how did you do it very intentional so the first thing uh, when i got to the bank is uh, assessment what, what do i have to work with what is the existing culture what 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 are the people doing so i went to every branch and uh, spoke to every single employee of the company and and listened to them and then i observed I observed the interactions. We'd go out and make calls on, on customers, and, and I'd watch how my, my officers and, and bankers would interact with the customers. And the first thing that struck me is how these customers would run up and hug my bankers. And they, and they just they loved each other. And I thought, ah, oh, there you go. That is a wonderful core. If we can take that care and love for each other, and focus it, uh, and, and banking's just the vehicle to take care of people and to serve them and serve our community. So uh, focused that, that energy, focused that uh, care for one another in, in, in a uh, thoughtful, meaningful way. Uh, so it is different, uh, so that's what, what I meant when I said originally that culture can just happen. You can just have a culture, uh, but really making sure it's it's you're mindful about what you're doing on purpose, and really making sure that that cascades throughout the entire organization. That's the trick, and and what I found is that everyone in our organization gets it. Uh, when we have a new hire, I, I sit down with the entire group and have lunch with them, 
and I tell them kind of my story and tell them what what makes us different, why that heart is in our logo, and what, what it means to us, and how it's put into action. And we celebrate those those moments where a customer, uh, we going through PPP uh, on a Sunday evening, I thought of one of our customers, and uh, it was it was a lady that uh, they had a, a lateral drilling company, and they they I wouldn't say struggled, but they they worked really hard for success. Uh, hardworking, great people. I just salt of the earth. I loved them, and I thought of them that Sunday evening. And I, I picked up the phone, and I had a baby in one arm and the phone in the other, and I said, "You've got to get down first thing Monday morning. Get your application in for the PPP. I, I want you at the front of the line. You get on the internet and you research it all. You be ready." And she said, "I'll be there." And so she applied, and it, it turned around their co company. And then she said, now, Jeff, I've got a problem. Now I, now I have wealth, and I don't know how to manage that. I know how to manage debt. <laughs> now what do I do with money? <laughs> and so we're there to help her through that, too. But it's that act of care. I care about her. And, and that cascades throughout the organization. Great. Connie, switching to kind of team as a theme. Um, at Fishers, there's three of us that actually own the company. The rest of them don't have any ownership. But we have team members, some in this, in this room, who act like owners. They, they take it very personally at Fishers and what we do here. Um, how can we as leaders foster more of that and make our, have our team feel like they own this, this company? I think you've got to stay very focused on the difference you're making in the world and make sure you're communicating that, the purpose of who you're serving. So um, people get very energized when they hear the stories, just like he shared about uh, a customer experience, something that happened. Uh, so, but what I find is you have to remind people to share those stories, right? Because they get where they just love their job and they just do this as part of the thing. So, um, I found that the wanting to be part of this and wanting to contribute to it, because none of our employees were owners, um, is uh, is that it's about them feeling good about the difference you're making in the world. And um, the other thing that's critically important is that's pretty easy to do with your frontline employees and those that are member-facing, customer-facing. But you have this whole other segment of your employees that are your finance department and back office and compliance and internal auditing. And how do you get them also to be as excited about what they don't get to experience day in and day out? And so. We had uh, built a lot of opportunities in communication, sharing stories and celebrating and including those folks even in the member and the, the community events, I think is really important. We did a lot of great community events, give back, and that's where they'll run into members and, and the community and give positive reinforcement. So I think the most important thing is to get every single person to believe that they are. I used to tell I would take all my employees out for coffee their first day, and I used to tell them that they are, I am no more important than they are. I just have different responsibilities than they do. And it's really important that we both see each other as equals in the organization. And sometimes leaders um, forget that or discount the value of that. But I, I remember, like, we had this big open house one time, and um, someone had spilt coffee, and everyone was kind of cleaning up, and everyone was tired and cleaning up afterwards. 
uh, with one of our new branch openings and someone had spilled coffee on the floor so I just grabbed a towel and was wiping it up and I don't know this but someone's videoing me doing this. Uh, and then this company-wide email went out the next day about how awesome it was to work for a company where we are all equals. And so you're always being watched as leaders, you don't even realize it. And people want to see you with no ego uh, and to be one of them. And um, so I think that that's uh, part of it as well. But never discount the value of sharing story after story after story about the impact um, that you're having on the world. That's great. Thank you. I will open it up to questions here in a bit. So think of a good, good question for this group. Uh, these are questions that matter to me, but that doesn't mean it matters to you. So think of some good questions for these guys. I'll keep rolling though. Um, Jeff, we're in this thing called the Great Resignation and we've got staffing shortages. Um, what, what do you do to make sure your team is happy and not looking elsewhere? Well, the first thing is I, I, I tell my team that I need them a lot more than they need me. Uh, and so I'm there to serve them. I'm there to get things out of their way, obstacles. So uh, there, there's something that I'll do uh, I call it checking the well because where I grew up, you know, behind a gas station, I have to get the dipstick out and check the oil. So I'll uh, I'll call randomly to branches, to other offices, and talk to anybody there and ask them how they're doing and what's going on. Is there anything I can do? If I could give you a magic wand, what would you do to make your job or life easier? And uh, or or sometimes I'll just call and. Uh, the Friday before uh, Labor Day, I called uh, two of our Washington uh, branch managers because they're new to our family. Uh, we brought them in on August 1st. And so I just said, hey, I wanted to wish you a happy, happy Labor Day weekend and uh, just enjoy yourself. And, and they're just like, whoa, you called my cell phone? I said, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to see how you're doing and how's everything going and, and, and listen. And it's, it's powerful. Uh, when, when they can, when when, it, when the team has an impact on their own lives, right, in their own jobs, they can they can make a difference and streamline things, and we listen. So that's 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 one thing is that we really respect them uh, and, and care. And there again, it goes back to the authenticity of really caring for them. It's it's not a fake thing. So I think that that holds holds the team together. The other thing is uh, we pay them right. Uh, I, I tell my team, and I don't care what level you're at, if you're worried about your paycheck and how much you're making, then I'm not doing my job. My job is to take care of you financially and pay you a fair rate according to what your position is in the company. And when I cease to do that and you start worrying about, oh man, it's kind of gouging me a couple bucks an hour, then, then I haven't done my job. And if I haven't done my job, please tell me. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll fix it. But I haven't had many of those calls. We try to be very proactive uh, with this big wave that we've had, analyzing and making sure that we're ahead of it because we don't want a big vacuum uh, because our, our talent is so important because those are relationships to our customers. Uh, it's, it's more than just a, a body sitting there taking up uh, a position. These are people that have relationships with our customer base uh, that, that we rely on. We, we need that to, to make a living. I mean, that's, uh, 
and and we need it to be successful. So it's uh, really really doing that on purpose. They're being mindful of how are they doing, being in touch with them constantly. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Brian. Um, there's a lot of negativity in the world right now. Things to be negative about, um, if we so choose. Uh, and also, most people feel overwhelmed, overworked, stressed more than more than ever it seems right now. And yet, your team seems to be full of high positive energy. How do you do it? Uh, other, than, uh, you, you hire for it, I assume. Right. Other than that, but they drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, well, they do. They drink a lot of coffee. They shotgun a, a ton of rebels, um, so that helps. Um, but it, one of the things when we hire people is, I mean, we're trying to put on a party. Like, uh, part, going back to you know the relationships and stuff we're trying to have with our customers, we're trying to promote a party atmosphere when you come to the window. So the music's blaring, and it's music that we're hoping the customers like. It doesn't, we don't always hit the mark, and sometimes we have to go in and tell our crews, hey, you're not playing music for you, you're playing music for uh, the, the customers coming in. So we have to rein that in a little bit sometimes, but the music should be pumping, they should be having a great time, they're trying to build a relationship with you. Um, the, the caffeine helps a ton. Um, but the, the idea is, you know, that. Our workforce mostly is built of friends that, I mean, we hire one person and all of a sudden in the next interview we have three of their college roommates that want to come in and work. And so they're working with their friends, they're working five, hour, five six hour shifts, they're going to school, they're having a great time. Um, we try to build this atmosphere of leave your problems at the door, that doesn't always happen, but it does a lot of times give people a little break from the negativity in life and things like that to just come in, have fun, carefree. Um, they get all the free drinks they want while they're working, so it's not like we're trying to, you know, they're not paying for stuff, so we're, we're trying to get them amped up. We're not trying to get them hooked, like addicted to anything, <laughs> but we want them to have a good time while they're there. And um, and it, and the, the reality of it is, is, is as much as we hear so many you know, sad stories from customers is I mean, our employees are also empowered to give product away. Um, I'm, I'm sure this is going on. This I'm not trying to advertise. Don't come in and start telling sad stories. Just try to get free drinks, please. But I mean, it happens where someone will come in and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" and they're like tearing up, and they accidentally ran over a dog or a cat that morning, or something bad had happened. Like our employees are empowered to give away free drinks, and it's amazing the small amount of a free coffee. The cost to us is is very low, obviously, but what the difference that makes to someone's life, and it could be something even um, smaller than that or something like that but this is when it comes back into like the the therapist and the counselor and the all the stuff the hats our employees wear but um, they get as much energy out of that interaction with those employees or the customers than anything else like the the coffee gets some hype this and that but more often than not the the stories we get from our employees are the difference they've made in someone's life or the customers that they know because um, I think speaking to your point earlier we don't want people to be fake either like you guys will as customers of ours will figure that out because you're going to see our people at Target, Costco, wherever we don't want them fake at Dutch Bros uh, we want them to be their authentic selves because we want them to be the same person when you run into them at Costco or Target or whatever so 
Um, that's where we're trying to hire for the personality side of things. Um, and really, we don't hit the mark 100% of the time, but, um, but it's big. And, and empowering those employees to have the power to change someone's day just through a free cup of coffee or, you know, back when we had stamp cards, uh, uh, stamp cards a couple extra stamps for a hookup, um, things like that, um, it, it empowers them to feel better, and it, and it keeps their energy high as well. So um, I think it just empowering the employees to have the freedom to do that at any level. They could be a first, you know, they could be on their third shift out of training, and they still have the ability to give out a free coffee if they want to. Um, so I think empowering them at any level is huge. They don't have to go ask their manager, things like that. Um, and they're really good about self-policing themselves, too, on that stuff, so it doesn't get out of control or anything like that. They really want to do it when it's uh, when it makes a difference. Uh, and and they, they feed through some of the customers that every day they say it's their birthday. They're like, well, your birthday was last week, and your birthday was the week before. <laughs> they do pick up on some of that stuff, too. But um, So, yeah, that's great. Thank you. I'll open up to the to the audience here for questions. I've got more prepared as well, but uh, I knew Carl would have one. You could be up, up here, Carl. You should be up. Uh, what is... What is key metric or metrics that you use that you think is a good indicator or one that you point to with respect to your culture? So I'll repeat. I don't know if, Mike, should I repeat these? Probably for the microphone. Yeah. Uh, what key metrics do you look at to measure and have visibility to culture? We uh, have a couple. First of all is, you know, your, um, your net financial goals uh, will show up, right? Uh, ours, when we started really investing our, in culture, our growth just took off, and we, we clearly just saw that. But the other thing is, we benchmarked an employee survey, and we asked unique questions that aren't normally on an employee uh, survey, uh, and I think we only had six questions, and so we, we rolled that out first, and then we did it quarterly, and we benchmarked against those to see, expecting that those, and these were questions that would basically answer, do you have a culture that your employees believe in. So those are the two that we um, worked on. Okay. Yeah, so turnover would be one metric. Uh, uh, then uh, growth. Are, are we successful in our offices? Uh, because if we have the right culture, we really are walking the walk, then we should be successful. So I look at that kind of bottom line. You know, Are we doing, doing the right thing here? And then we do surveys as well. Um, I would say, is, so the difference, and we spoke about this earlier, the difference between Dutch Bros and, and the um, industries therein is we're a launching pad for a lot of our employees. We're not a career job for, you know, 98% of our employees. We we keep a few to hang around our office, and some go on to become operators in Dutch Bros, things like that, but we're really a launching pad, and so we're trying to instill customer service, which is what Dutch Bros is known for and just instilling that in people so that they have that on their resume. So when they go on from us, that next employer, whoever it is, looks at it and says, oh, you work for Dutch Bros. Okay, I don't have to worry about the customer service side. You've had that beaten into you for three, four, five years, whatever. We can work on the rest. So um, that's a big thing for the culture side of things when people come to work for us. And we're very upfront with telling people, like, you're, this isn't going to be your forever job. This is a, you know, while you're at Boise State or maybe in high school and you're going to be with us three, four, five years, that's perfect. But we want you to go move on to bigger and better things. Um, but while they're with us, we really want to hammer that culture into them. Um, 
So that's just the difference between our industry and others. We're not, I'm not looking for career people necessarily long term. The other thing I would add to that is just walking around. You know, get get out and, and go to your locations and observe and listen and and uh, that's a good metric. Thanks. Yeah. I have a question regarding the surveys. Do you set an expectation ahead of time that action either will or won't be taken as a result of the surveys? Or how do people typically respond to that? Because I know sometimes the survey can go out and then six months later a particular pain point hasn't changed and people start to grumble. Well, why are you sending out the surveys? <laughs> Nothing's going to change. We always communicated the results of the surveys, and then I also did very similar. Uh, I would go quarterly to every location and attend their staff meeting and say, what are you hearing from our members? I had two questions. What are you hearing from our members, and where are things difficult for you? Where do you feel like you can't be efficient? What is slowing you down? What are your obstacles? Uh, and then I would get a ton of feedback, a lot of feedback from those two uh, sessions. That's when I would communicate out, here's some things we're doing to address what showed up in the survey. Uh, we also had a philosophy of, we tried to really encourage, because we really worked on open communication and courageous conversations and crucial conversations is, um, you know, don't wait for the survey to communicate your grievances. Uh, you know, hopefully you're having discussions about those and you're not hiding behind a survey. So we did a ton of training around communication and uh, crucial conversations and how to build trust in teams uh, because we didn't want the survey to be the opportunity to vent. We wanted to hopefully have that show up well in advance. We do a, a meeting called a cross-functional meeting. Um, I facilitate it once a month and bring, there's been a shift after COVID that I'll explain, but traditionally it's been about 10 people from different a couple copier technicians, a couple IT technicians, a couple salespeople, admin staff, come in a room, whiteboard, divide it into quadrants, and, and we answer four questions. One is, what do we do today that make our customers extremely happy that you want to make sure we never lose that magic? And they, they have little sticky notes. I want three ideas from each person, one idea per sticky note, and they come up and present their ideas. So those things were great out for our customers. Then, what if we change it about Fishers would make us, customers even happier? Right, so things that we don't do as well for customers. So again, sticky notes. And then same two questions except about us and, and our team. What do we do at Fishers that make you love coming to work every day? All those ideas. And then what if we changed it would make you even more excited to come to work every day? And you get done with this 90-minute meeting, the positive side, all the reinforcements of why we're such a great organization for our employees and for our customers, and the other side are all of the amazing ideas of how we can get better for those two very important constituents, our employees and our customers, and feed that feedback back into our leadership team for ideation on how we need to change to be better for our customers and employees. So that's been our, it's my favorite meeting, it's been our most effective way of capturing information and the pulse of our team. There's a question back here. Yeah, if I can change the topic. Sure. Uh, so uh, technology and the rate of change is increasing. And, and there's new things that people have to adapt to all the time. So do you account for or do you build that into your cultures uh, to allow for it in a, in a purposeful way? So it reminds me, because technology is a, the meeting I just described was in person with a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. COVID, we had to move to a Zoom format. 
so technology impacting that meeting, it, it, I think it made the meeting better. So I increased it from about 10 people to about 20 people. And then did those discussions in breakout groups, those breakout rooms that you have in Zoom. Um, and then they come and they nominate a spokesperson for the question to come back and present their ideas. I, th I think what it, it did is it allowed more engagement. Now, now we've got 14 offices that allow people to get to know each other that didn't otherwise know each other. But also, when I'm asking a question, I may not get the most brutally honest answer. Hopefully I do, but you just may not, right? They can go discuss it, come up with some brutally honest feedback, and then anonymously present it back as the group thought this. So, so I actually, technology has enhanced the meeting that I just described. Yeah, because otherwise, if you had to travel to a common site and you had you know, 14 locations, it would not really happen very yeah. often. Yeah, thank you. So question to the panel on technology and impact on culture. I would say adapt to what's going on. Definitely, uh, we had some incredibly uh, effective meetings when COVID hit us that we wouldn't have thought of having those meetings through, you know, um, online or a remote or virtual environment. So uh, I think it's just adapting and making sure you're still feeling like you're getting out of it. I will say technology, uh, I recognize that the relationships weren't as strong once we went uh, to a, a complete virtual or a significant virtual environment. So one of the things that I learned was that I couldn't kick into normally in that online, you feel like you have to be really efficient, right? I couldn't kick into the meeting quickly. I needed to still have that five minute of normal chit chat time that you have when you're all walking in the room and how was your weekend and that type of thing. So it was a little awkward at times, but I think it still was investing to make sure that we were doing that. I think it was important. So it's kind of, it's an interesting question because through COVID actually our culture, uh, it, it blossomed. It, it actually did better because we, we really had to focus so diligently and I, I spent so many more hours uh, calling people and uh, virtual calls, telephone calls. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people did this where you'd have uh, virtual cocktail hours. We'd, we'd do that on a Friday where I'd get the executive team or we'd get the team that was working on PPP, we'd get them together and, and uh, we'd buy them a certain glass uh, to celebrate say an accomplishment that we just went through say the first round of PPP and I get the whole group in and we just talk casually and so uh, then we'd have pizza parties and no matter what location you're in you've got the local pizza from from a mom and pop and so we built, we really experienced a lot of fun through that tough time because it was grueling it was really hard uh, what I find challenging and interesting now is now we have a hybrid. So I have some people at home. I have some people all in the office all the time. I have some that are both, and it's spread out. So it's different everywhere. There is no real consistency. And so uh, that's why I, I will find these opportunities to you know, check the oil, see how they're doing. Um, and I look at it as a weave. So it's you have technology, but that doesn't mean you forget about the personal relationship. So those weave together. So I can have a relationship with you that's virtual, but then when I'm in town, let's get together. So we add that to it. Um, 
and, and so I use that. I have uh, all hands meeting that's virtual throughout all our, our uh, 17 branches. But then I go out personally. So it, it's both. Uh, so we were in a blessed position to, during all of COVID, all that we were deemed as essential business. So we stayed open. Um, so we didn't deal with a lot of the remote um, Zoom stuff. And I mean, we 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 still were meeting at our office, our, our office team and stuff like that. So we didn't deal with a ton of that, just different industry stuff. Um, Technology for us has changed over the years with what you guys maybe experience if you do come through with the runners in the parking lot and taking your orders out there now. Um, that used to solely be the window person, but technology, we just got too busy where we needed to update our deal. And it's actually a hybrid of in and out and a couple other companies. Chick-fil-A does it too as well. But we've kind of collaborated with some of those businesses as well on how it works. Um, it really started out at In-N-Out Burger out of Redding, California first. Uh, the Dutch Bros Redding uh, owner saw In-N-Out Burger back years and years ago text, texting orders in because they were too busy and they couldn't keep up. So we adopted that from there and have perfected. But that's where technology has changed us too to that degree. It's just changed the customer's interaction with us where the window person used to be your sold person asking about your day, this and that. Now it's a person walking with you out there. But... As far as COVID-related stuff, I mean, we just did the best we could with dealing dealing through it, but we didn't, luckily we didn't have to close or well, change. It sounds much. like a, a mindset, because I hear more of the, oh, I can't wait for us to get back in person or everybody to get back in the office, you know, back to normal, which really isn't ever going to happen. But if you embrace it and say, well, let's just make it as good as we can make it, and it sounds like you guys all have that positive mindset so that's what sets you apart yeah and I would um, add to that so uh, several of my clients this is a topic right is who do I bring back to remote how do I decide this uh, all of this and what I'll tell you is the hang-up uh, tends to be the word consistency is they really want to establish a culture of consistency with certain positions certain uh, whatever and I think the ones that are um, being successful here is having the creative mindset that if this person has deemed that they really can do their job well remotely, the rest of the department wants to come back or whatever, we're okay not being consistent. And this is really difficult for HR departments because they really do want some consistency. So I can just think, for example, of uh, one of them, for example, where they lost a really good employee because there only was one out of the department and he really just wanted to stay home. He actually got where he just loved staying home with his dogs, and he didn't want to have to kennel his dogs anymore. Uh, and it was, well, no, we just decided this department, uh, and so they lost a really good employee over that. So I think what I find is get in the very creative, open-minded space, and if you study the brain, our triggers, uh, and a lot of times we get fearful of what could go wrong rather than how can we make this work. Uh, and so I think it's critically important that now more than ever is we need to figure out a way, which also means we need to be really good leaders at explaining to people that might come forward and have an issue or doesn't make sense to them or whatever, is how do we explain and stay very focused on what's in the best interest of the organization and who you serve. And I think that that falls into place a little bit better. But 
it is probably one of the biggest obstacles that at least the clients that I have today are working through. We're trying to assess of all the communications and engagements that we have within our company, which ones are can be handled virtually or uh, which ones do we need to be in person for. And so, so asynchronous communication, we feel like could be more of reporting and information distribution type communications. We don't need to be in the same room to do that. If, it cre if we need ideation and creativity and, and bonding and team building, those types of interactions need to be in person, right? So trying to be mindful of the types of interactions we have and which format is, is best for us. Right. Yeah. Hi so, you know, without revenue, culture probably doesn't matter much because you don't have business, right? So you have to have revenue. And I love what every one of you are saying. It's really amazing. And I see a common theme here in who you are and the kind of character that you bring to the table here and the positions that you have. Has there ever been a challenge that you face, such as having an employee that's this rock star revenue builder, okay, but they can't carry the vision? Not everybody's a vision carrier. Sometimes they'll talk, but you know the people who bleed it. And so have you ever had to have those serious conversations, the crucial conversations, or make very big decisions that you knew was going to jar your team, you know, in that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real thing. So um, I had a term, I called them cave dwellers, which were those that were consistently against virtually everything. <laughs> um, and maybe not aggressively, but they, were, they had that tone of they didn't have to follow the rules, for example, or whatever. Uh, so I actually kind of studied who your people were that didn't quite fit the culture that might still be really good producers. And here's what I found, and I actually got this advice and I followed it and it worked for me. Um, I did make some mistakes, so I can remember a couple where I made where I kept a few folks that really did cause some underlying issues because of a fear of them being really well known in the community or a fear that employees wouldn't understand, but they weren't supporting fully the culture. So. I think we hang on to some of those people for actually three key reasons. One is we don't have a good successor that can take their place. In other words, they, they have the knowledge and no one else has it, so we have this fear of losing this knowledge. The second is close family, like family employees, family, like they're kind of, and the third is top producers. So we all, uh, you all probably can imagine someone that was a top salesman somewhere that really did not fit the culture, right? But man, they're just rolling in the cells and they just have the way. So the one of the best advice I got, and I lived it for the most part, I wasn't perfect at it, was you must get rid and you must find a way to put a lot of pressure on these that don't want to live the culture values because everyone is seeing it and they're looking at you as the leader being a hypocrite in this process. So you can't stand in front of a group for hold everyone else accountable when you got the one person there that isn't um, doing it. And an example is we rolled out a no drama training and we were very strict about no pairing off and no gossip because it kills, drama kills culture faster than anything else. And we were serious about it and we would hold people accountable to it, but there was always a few that couldn't get control of it. So it is a very real thing. I don't, I think you have to over communicate with these people and give them, and some people shined, they came through. And it was pretty cool, but you know, it is a choice. Some people may get 
and dig their heels in and not want to, you know, adapt to the culture. So, so my feeling on that is number one, uh, what what's your vision? What are you what are you here for? And and what I realized that day one is that nobody's going to get up in the morning for return on equity or return on investment, right? They wake up in the morning with their cup of coffee and say, wow, let's go make a good ROE for the shareholders. Uh, but making a difference in their communities and their world, uh, they'll get up for that. I will get up for that. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I've promised to my team that that is our vision and that, that is the authentic uh, vision and culture. So I have to live by it, and I do live by it. And in the interview process, we've, we face this quite a bit as we're expanding into these new markets. We'll get a really top producer, but they're just, they're really rough on people. We'll pass on right at the front. Now, we had one recently that was a great producer, and he, we had an old, old all-hands meeting, and he said, uh, hey, uh, when do I get my uh, production bonus? And he wanted to start talking about his personal bonus on an all-hands meeting. Well, that doesn't fit. That, that's not what drives us and our team. We're not driven like that. We're driven to, to take care of each other and the customer, and that's, that's just how we're motivated. He lasted about 30 days, and uh, we, we put enough pressure on him. He was like, and so we act on that really quickly, uh, and, and you just have to really be committed to it and not be uh, temp tempted by the dollars, because in the end, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. So just, just bite the bullet quick. I, I always say, kill it while it's young, <laughs> and and just be committed to the culture. We talked about three types of people in our in our teams. There's culture keepers, and those who are those who live in your culture every day. They keep it what it is, and they they're awesome. There's culture crusaders. Those are the ones who actually show up, torches on fire, loving, loving this place, yeah. right? And really spreading, you know, spreading our culture. And then there's culture vultures, right? And they're just like vultures. They're hanging out at the water cooler and they're saying, they're blaming and they're negative and they're recruiting other vultures to be in them. And so we have to, and I asked our team, let's have, be honest with yourself. Who are you right now? Because we cannot have culture vultures in this company. Now there's situations where you know maybe something going on in your personal life you can't help but be negative in the workplace. We'll understand those. Otherwise, if we have culture vultures have no plan, and we've made tough decisions, high performing people, culture vultures, we have to get them get them out of here. All right, we're running. Uh, we need to wrap this up, so I'm gonna if it's okay, end up end with one question. Uh, I'll start with Brian, and this is your one piece of advice for the for the leaders here on building, fostering, and keeping strong cultures? Um, I, I would say, and I talk to my crew about this all the time, um, is just leading humbly. I mean, I, that's a, a huge thing that I try to do and being able to admit that you are the one that made the mistake or, and, and I, I talk to our leadership team all the time about being servant leaders and just leading humbly and uh, we've had plenty of people through our s system that couldn't admit that they were wrong. It was always someone else's fault, things like that and um, it that just doesn't it doesn't speak to our culture at all. We're we're a culture of people that are willing to stand up and be like, hey, I screwed that one up. I do it every day. I make mistakes every single day. Um, but we have to address that from the top down. So I think the biggest thing that I pour into my people is just being a servant leader, um, 
you know, the, the old saying, customer's always right. It's a hard one for me because it's not true. Um, but, you know, we try to just humbly take every situation with the customers um, and, you know, we make a lot of mistakes. But that's the biggest thing is just, just being a humble leader. Nobody is in our chain that's an assistant or a manager or even a shift lead that can't lead humbly. We've had them. It doesn't work. Um, and so just being that servant leader and being the first one to say, you know, you know, follow me. I'll tell you when I screw up. We'll move past it. I can work with that all day long. The person that comes in with excuses to me about why it wasn't their fault, this and that, I, I can't do that. I don't. I don't like that. If you tell me you were wrong and own up to it and honest, we can move on quickly and water under the bridge. So that's my, that's our big thing at at least locally here at Dutch Bros. Thank you. Uh, my my top thing would be enjoy the ride, enjoy the culture. Uh, and enjoy living it and figuring out ways every day to to show it uh, oh let's let's make that phone call let's make up this thing called the dipstick you know to check in the oil figure out in, uh, kind of in, ingenious ways to uh, uplift and support that culture as, as the leader it's a lot of fun it, it's a lot of fun to see the the uh, culture in action and being a part of that. So take the lead and have fun. Thank you. Mine would definitely be, um, if you're the leader of this, is be the biggest culture advocate you can be in every single thing that you do, every conversation, be the example. If you aren't the leader, I would say become obsessed about understanding the culture. What does it mean? What's the history of the organization? What's the vision? Where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish? And I remember I wrote a whole chapter of this in my book because I think employees sometimes don't take that time to wander into the CEO's office and look at what's most important to them, um, study the values, and become just uh, become obsessed about being better at you. Uh, and I think it all falls into place. Great advice. Thank you so much. I'd also like to thank our marketing and events team. Uh, I make them do things like this and last minute ideas, and it's a lot of work. So thanks to Fisher Steve. And thank all of you for, uh, for joining here. We're going to move out to our after hours, is it outdoors? Um, so grab us. I think Jeff has to leave, but uh, happy to talk more about this if you didn't get the <coughs> questions answered. Otherwise, let's go have a good time. Thank you.